All right, well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Again, great to be with you this morning. So let's go ahead and get going. We've got a lot to cover this morning. Grab your Bible, and I want you to turn in the New Testament to the book of Romans, chapter 8. And that should be familiar to you uh, as a church family. If you're visiting, we walk through the first half of Romans this spring. Uh, come August 1st, we're going to walk through Romans 9 through the end of the book for the rest of the year. Uh, normally, as a church, we're walking through a Bible book, but this summer... We are right in the middle of a series that we're calling The Story. And we're walking through these gospel movements. We, we, we remember that the Bible is, is made up of a bunch of stories. But really, the Bible is just one big story of God's redemptive plan. From creation, through the fall, into this message of redemption, and then this new creation. And we're walking through all four of those gospel movements this summer uh, as a church family. Now, I, I want to kind of set up where we're going to be going this morning, and I want to give you a little bit of a challenge this morning that I think is going to help you. Uh, you don't have to turn there at all, but the Apostle Peter, in his letter, 1 Peter, gives us as believers a real challenge. Here's what Peter says. He says, we as believers are always to be ready. He says, as believers, we're always to be ready. Ready for what, Peter? He says, we are to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us about this hope that is within us. Peter says that there's, there's intentional evangelism where we go and speak and, and share the gospel. There's responsive evangelism where in the course of life, we're in our workplace, in our community, in our neighborhood, our classroom, whatever... People see our lives and they realize something is different. And Peter says, listen, you be ready when they come and ask you, what is it that's different about you? So how does this play out in your life? Okay, you don't have to answer this out loud. So let's say you're at your job or you're at your classroom or you're mowing your lawn or whatever. And the, your neighbor comes over and they know you. They've watched your life. They've seen your family. They know something's different about you. Not that you're weird. That's not the point. But there's something different about you. And your neighbor says something like this. Hey, man, I, I think you're probably a follower of Jesus. I don't know what all that means. But, but what is it you followers of Jesus believe anyway? And you kind of, you turn your mower off, and you're, you're not sure what you're going to say, and maybe you're a little confused in that moment, maybe you're a little nervous in that moment, kind of caught you off guard. Peter says, be ready. Be ready in every situation. If someone comes to you and says, hey, what is it you Christians believe, or what is it that's different about you, be ready to give a defense or an account or be able to answer the question why you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I set it up that way because I think the story series that we're walking through helps us to do that. Because in the story series, you have wrapped up in four words, or these four movements, really, the message of the gospel. You got creation. We talked about that a few weeks ago. What do you believe? Well, we believe in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. We believe God created everything good. We believe everything that is was created by God. We believe God is the subject and the author of creation. We believe in creation as the Bible speaks. We're here because a divine relational being created us. You start there. 
But we also believe because the Bible teaches this, you get into Genesis 3, we believe there was a fall. We believe there was that cataclysmic moment when humanity, mankind, rebelled against God and sin. There was creation, there was the fall, and sin has wrecked God's good creation. And we all know that in so many ways, right? Not just creation, we are wrecked because of sin. So we believe there's creation, we believe there's the fall, but we also believe there's the good news that God has stepped into history and given a plan, devised a plan to redeem those that are fallen from him. There's redemption. And God has a plan of redemption that Jesus has broken the power of sin. And then we also believe there's new creation, that everything's not going to be as it is. One day, Christ is going to return and make everything right, right? He's going to return and make all things new. Isn't that good news? Everything's not going to be as it is today. There's a new creation. So in that, brothers and sisters, you have the capacity to defend what you believe or share the message of the gospel. Creation, fall, there's redemption in Christ Jesus, and there's a new creation that he's going to come back one day and make everything right. Man, I was really encouraged. I just got to share with you last week after the after the message, and we talked about redemption last week, one of my sisters in Christ came up and said, I just got to tell you, I, I've had this person on my heart. They're one of my three names. We pray for at least three people in our lives that don't know Christ. I've had this three, one of these people on my heart, and I was a little nervous about how to share the gospel with them, and I wasn't sure how I was going to do that. I wanted to, but the story has helped me to see I can do this. I can tell. I could share that gospel message, and I hope it has been that source of encouragement and equipping for you. So we're seeing the history throughout the Bible of God's redemptive plan. Uh, we're taking the story series, and we're walking this at home with our kids through the family discipleship plan. And I also hope you see through this series, this is a tool that I've been given to be able to share the gospel with my friends and neighbors that God brings into my life, right? Okay, so this morning we're going to talk specifically about this idea of redemption. Talked about creation, talked about the fall. Last week we started this whole gospel movement of redemption. Now if you remember, if you were here last week, we talked about redemption. Jesus has broken the power of sin. Every week we give you one big truth. Last week's big truth was this. God the Father is the Redeemer. We looked at that last week. God the Father has devised this plan, preordained this plan of redemption to redeem us back to himself. We talked about that last week. You can go listen to it online if you'd like. Now this morning, we're going to take that a step further, and we're going to build on that. We're going to say this. So here's our big truth of this morning. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. Big truth for this morning is this. God the Spirit gives new life to the redeemed. It is God the Spirit... That gives us life. God the Spirit gives us life. We're talking about how each member of the Trinity is involved in this thing called redemption. Now, just a quick aside. It, God exists as Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Say, Pastor Mike, you got to explain that. Okay, here we go. God exists as Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's not, there's not three gods. There's 
one God existing in this triunity, if you will, of one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's been that way forever and ever and ever and ever, right? Forever, God has experienced perfect love within the Trinity. Forever, God has known perfect unity and perfect fellowship within the Trinity. You do know God did not create you because God was lonely, right? You know that. Well, you know, God was just up in eternity and needed a friend, so he created humanity. That's not why God created you. God created out of no need whatsoever. He has no needs. He dwells in perfect love, perfect unity within this thing called the Trinity. And the amazing reality is you walk through your Bible, you see each member of the Trinity working together for your redemption and my redemption. God the Father, this plan from all eternity to redeem us. God the Son purchased our redemption. We'll look at that next week. Today we're going to talk about the work of the Spirit. What is it that the Spirit is doing in this thing called redemption? Romans 8 verse 11. This will be our verse for today. This will be your memory verse for the week. And you can walk your kids and use this at home. Romans 8 11. We were here just a few weeks ago. But Romans 8 11 says this. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now remember, brothers and sisters... If by faith you are trusting in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's really good news this morning. So Paul writes, he says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit. Oh, by the way, who dwells in you. Paul wanted you to hear something there. The Spirit indwells believers. He gives life to believers. The Spirit gives life. Now, Pastor Mike, I, I, I kind of get that. I, 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 we've heard about that. We walked through Romans a few months ago. We're going to continue in Romans in just a few weeks. But I, I kind of need a picture of that. Is there anywhere in the Bible that gives us a picture of how the Spirit of God gives life? I'm really glad you asked this morning. I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to turn from Romans, and I want you to find the book of Ezekiel. I'm going to give you a minute or two, all right, the book of Ezekiel. It's probably the nice, white, clean pages of your Bible. If you open up right in the middle, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, 37. Find your place in your Bible in Ezekiel chapter 37. Now, the reason we're in Ezekiel this morning is because Ezekiel 37 gives one of the most vivid pictures of how the Spirit of God gives life to those who are dead. Now, if you don't know a lot about Ezekiel, the prophet, let me give you a 30-second rundown of the context so you'll know what we're talking about here. Ezekiel is an Old Testament, if you will, prophet of God. His job was to speak truth and declare God's truth to God's people. That was Ezekiel's job. Ezekiel lives in one of the most horrific times in all of the nation of Israel's history. Ezekiel was a Jew. He lived about 600 years before the time of Christ. He lived during the time of Israeli uh, of when the Israelites, the Jews, were exiled out of their homeland and carried off to Babylon. 
Now, a lot of your Old Testament doesn't make a lot of sense, especially the prophets, unless you realize there was a time when northern kingdom Israel was carried off to Assyria, southern kingdom Judah was carried off to Babylon. And all that happened during that time, Ezekiel is writing to a people who are in exile. We can't even fathom that as Americans, by the way, that a foreign power could come into our land, decimate our land, and carry us and our families off into another land, to Canada or something. I don't know why Canada. We're not at war with Canada, are we? Anyway, to carry us off into a foreign land. That's where the nation of Israel finds themselves in the book of Ezekiel. Now, you're not going to understand some of the bizarre things that Ezekiel's going to say here unless you realize that the nation of Israel is there because of their rebellion and their own wickedness toward God. And God, in His love, is disciplining His people because of their own sin and their own wickedness. They've been disciplined by this foreign power that's come in, carried them off to Babylon. Chapter 34, you don't have to turn there, but it's a prediction that one day, Israel, you're going to have a new king, a descendant of David, and it's a picture of King Jesus in Ezekiel 34. Then you come to Ezekiel 36, and it's a promise that God is going to give life to those who are spiritually dead. It is a beautiful promise in Ezekiel 36. Let me read that to you. We're going to get to 37 in a minute. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 says this, God promising to the nation of Israel... And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. Amazing promise from God. He says, there's coming a day where my very spirit is going to give life to those who are spiritually dead. Now, what does that look like, Pastor Mike? Is there a picture of that? Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14 is a picture of how the Spirit of God gives life to those who are dead spiritually. As we read this story, there's a a ton of application for you and me. Just as a reminder, before, if you're here and you're a believer, before you were saved, you were a dead man, you were spiritually dead before God. That was our condition. That's all our condition before God saves us. But here's a message, a picture of how the Spirit gives life to those who are dead. Now, follow along. I'm just going to read a few verses here. We'll make some application for us this morning. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1. Ready? Here we go. Ezekiel says, And the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out, into the, out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. <laughs> Let's stop right there. Here's your picture. Ezekiel's in Babylon. God gives him this vision. God walks him out, and he looks around, and everywhere he sees just bones, dead, dry bones everywhere. You've probably heard this story. This is the valley of dry bones, all right? Verse 2. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Now, Ezekiel's making an observation. It doesn't, you don't have to be CSI here to understand when he says there's a lot of bones and they're really dry. What's he saying? They've been dead for a long time. These bones are representing a spiritual death, if you will, that's been going on for a long time. Keep going. Verse 3. 
And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? That's a little bit of a bizarre question. Can these, can these dead bones, these dead bones that have been dead for a long, long time, can dead bones live? And by the way, that's one of the messages of the Bible. Can those who are dead come to life? And thank goodness we know the answer is yes, right, in Christ. Can these dead bones live? Ezekiel responds and he says, Oh Lord God, you know. And he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now the word prophesy is not something weird here, some mystical. Prophesy is speak truth over these dead bones, the truth that I'm going to give you. Speak the promises of God over these dry bones, God says. Speak the promises and truth from God to dead men is what God is calling Ezekiel to do. Can I just pause here for a second and encourage you? Listen, brothers and sisters, as those who have been given a commission to take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth, every time you share the gospel with someone, you are sharing the message of the gospel to dead men. When you first heard the gospel, you were as a dead man hearing the message of the Lord Jesus Christ until the Spirit of God gave you life. When you go and make Jesus known and when you're ministering, whether it's at Doe River Gorge or wherever God calls you to go and speak the gospel, it is not your persuasive speech that can raise the dead. It is the message of the gospel and the word of God and the power of the Spirit of God that can raise the dead. That's the point here. Can these bones live? Verse 5, thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, hearkening back to creation, and you shall live. I'll lay sinews upon you, and I'll cause flesh to come on you. I'll cover you with skin, put breath in you, and you'll live. And you will know that I am the Lord. This is a particular promise to the nation of Israel, but it extends to all believers. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. I love that, verse 7. You might want to mark that in your Bible. What are we to say, Lord? Exactly what God tells us through his word to say. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews and flesh and skin, but there was no breath in them. Verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to the breath thus says the lord god come from the four winds O breathe and breathe on these slain that they may live now, there's a lot of different components here don't get lost in the details too much can can dead bones live that's the question he's given this picture so i prophesied as he commanded me verse 10 and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceeding great army and they said to me or then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. Remember, they're in exile, and it's a picture of their exile. It's a picture of their spiritual death. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. Oh, my people. Stop right there one second. 
This week I was listening to a, it was actually a couple weeks ago, I was listening to an interview with an Orthodox Jewish man who does not believe in Jesus as the Messiah. His name was Ben Shapiro. And he said, listen, I don't see any support, his testimony, I don't see any support in the Old Testament, he said, for resurrection. And I wanted to say, have you read Ezekiel 37? Which says, God, I promise I'm going to bring you up out of your grave and raise you from your grave. Verse 14. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will do it, declares the Lord. Everybody take a breath, okay? It's a lot. Now, what are we to take from Ezekiel chapter 37 that applies to us this morning in this gospel narrative? Remember the big truth that we're hammering out this morning is this. God the Spirit gives new life to the redeemed. God, and in all these verses in chapter 37, Ezekiel wants you to see a vivid picture that by the Spirit of God, dead bones can live. Those who are dead, apart from Christ, can live by the power of the Spirit of God. That is to encourage us, that is to give us hope, that is to remind us that we have life by the Spirit, and that is to remind you of that brother or that sister who has rejected Christ, or that neighbor who doesn't know Christ, and you thought, is there any hope for them? You can pray, Lord, would you let those dead bones live and share the message of the gospel and trust the Spirit of God to do His work. So the big truth for us this morning is that God the Spirit gives new life to the redeemed. Now what I want to do in just a few minutes before we close, I'm going to give you three kind of big ideas that flow out of this. You can write these down. I think these are going to be real applicable for you this morning and helpful. So big truth, God, God the Spirit gives new life. Here's, here's your three big ideas. Number one is this, the Holy Spirit makes God's people alive. It is the Spirit that gives life. Now we've been seeing that this morning. Ezekiel 37, 14 says, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. It is the work of the spirit to give life. It is the work of the spirit that gives you spiritual life. It is the work of the spirit that gives life with those whom you are sharing. The apostle Paul agrees with this, by the way. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, you can just write it down, it's not going to be on the screen. Paul says, the letter kills, but it's the spirit that gives life. Obedience to any kind of mandate or rule will not quicken us to life. We have to be given life, and that is the work of the spirit, Paul says. Jesus said in John 6, 36, it is the spirit who gives life. And by the way, I tend to agree with what Jesus says, amen? It is the spirit that gives life. And again, I'm I'm harping on this this morning because I want us to see somehow in our fallenness, we tend to put way too much credit on our capacity or our ability to either raise someone that we're ministering to or even in our own life. The point is to be reminded how desperately dependent you are on the Spirit of God. He gives life. He sustains life. It is the Spirit's life-giving work also here follows an honest, clear acknowledgement of spiritual death. Ezekiel is very clear. He sees a vision of dead bones so that there'll be no question. Well, were they just kind of sick and they got to feeling better? No. 
Had they just taken some kind of sleep agent and it just made them real sleep? Nope, they were dead. And the only way they were going to live is if supernaturally they were given life. And that's my testimony and your testimony as well. There was an acknowledgement here, verse 2. These bones were, the valley was full of bones. They were very dry, left to ourselves. And this is, this is just something I want to remind us of. We talk about the gospel and we talk about the message of scripture left to ourselves, left to the voices of our culture. We will never rightly diagnose our own spiritual condition. Where we live in, folks are unable to rightly diagnose their own spiritual condition. Well, this is my situation. This is my need. This is my background. And the Bible says the ultimate condition is apart from Jesus Christ. You're spiritually dead in need of life. That's the condition of all apart from Christ. And then you see here also, I think, something very helpful. The tool of the Spirit is God's Word. Verse 4 He says, then he says to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now this helps me. This helps me because if we're not really careful, when we start talking about the work of the Spirit, we can get over in this mystical, fuzzy, just really weird stuff all of a sudden, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago, the, the Holy Ghost and all this mystical stuff that you hear on television. How does the Spirit work in people's lives to open their eyes? How does the Spirit work in your life as a believer? The Spirit works always in concert with the Word of God. It's the way He works. God says, the Spirit is going to give life to these dead bones. He's going to do it as you, Ezekiel, are prophesying and declaring the truth. You speak the truth. The Spirit will take that truth and press it down into their hearts, open their eyes, and there will be life that's given. The Spirit of God works in concert with the Word of God. And by the way, Jesus agrees with this too. And I'm on team Jesus, right? Jesus says, John 6, 36, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. God uses his word spoken by his people. The Spirit takes that and opens eyes and quickens to life and allows people to repent and believe. Use the word of God. Now listen, brothers and sisters. We we can apply this very quickly to those who don't know Christ and we as ambassadors of Christ, of making Christ known. But let me remind you as a believer, Paul is very clear in Ephesians chapter 6 that the Spirit of God has a sword. (laughs) And the Bible calls this sword the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? Word of God. And what that means practically for you, child of God, is you're walking in the Spirit and you're living your daily life as a follower of Christ. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God as you allow the Word of God to dwell in your heart and you're in God's Word and you're reading God's Word and you're memorizing God's Word and you're studying God's Word. The Spirit of God takes that and continually transforms us and works in our lives. Don't be surprised and scratch your head and wonder why you're struggling in your walk with the Lord if the Word of God doesn't have a place in your daily life. Man, I don't know. This 
this sin just seems to be so, so gripping me and, and steering my mind. I just, I just, I just don't, I don't seem to have any power. What's going on? Well, man, are, are you bathing your mind and your heart in the Word of God? Well, no, I just, I just, I just not there. I got too much going on. I, what, all, we make those excuses. The Spirit of God in the lives of believers takes the Word of God and is daily transforming us as we allow the Word of God to richly dwell within us. That's how we battle sin, and that's how we grow in Christ's likeness. And this is the sword of the Spirit that He's entrusted to you and to me. Right? The Spirit of God, first big truth, quickly, is this, that the Spirit of God makes God's people alive. Secondly, I'll just give you a second big truth really quick, is the Holy Spirit indwells, indwells God's people. Now, there may be someone in this room who today is the first time you've ever been in church in your life. And if that's the case, we are honored that you're here, glad you're here. But you're pro- there are probably very few. Many of you have grown up in church. You've grown up in the Bible Belt. You hear this idea, well, yeah, the Spirit of God indwells God's people, and we take that for granted. Let me just remind you of a startling reality this morning. When we hear the promise of God's Word, that God Himself indwells us as His people... We are partakers of the divine nature that ought to blow us away. You are the temple of the very Spirit of God Himself now in Christ. When Ezekiel says this to the nation of Israel, I imagine their mind blew a little bit of the reality that they no longer had to watch go somewhere to find God's presence, God was now going to indwell His people? Mind-boggling. You walk through the Old Testament and you trace the nation of Israel. Some of the high-water marks of the people of Israel was when God would manifest His presence. And just you, you don't have to take time to look these up. You don't even have to put these on the screen. I'm just going to do these really quick. Exodus 40, when they built the tabernacle in the wilderness. Exodus 40, the Spirit of God came and dwelt above the tabernacle. It was a manifestation of God's presence. And the people are worshiping. Man, it's an incredible day. God's presence is here. And we can go there to his presence is amazing then you get up to first kings and when they they built this massive temple the nation of israel and uh, solomon's temple was built and it represented the presence of god and first kings chapter 8 10 and 11 the glory of the lord filled the temple and there was this worship going on it was amazing reality that god would dwell among his people at this temple and hey we can go to this temple and we can worship and we can meet with god When you come to Ezekiel 37, the temple is gone. The temple has been destroyed. The Spirit of God has left the temple, it says in the beginning of Ezekiel. And God's people are like, when are we ever, is there any way we'll ever be able to go there and commune with God anymore? And God makes this, you got to hear, this incredible promise. Hold on. There's a day coming when you're not going to worship from the outside in and go somewhere. You'll worship from the inside out because the Spirit of God is going to dwell His people. That ought to blow us away. We live in that day. 
We live post-resurrection. We live post-Christ. Now we live in the day when Paul says, but now you are no longer of the flesh, but in the Spirit, because the Spirit of God indwells every believer. That is mind-boggling. Ephesians chapter 1 clears it up for us really quick. So when does that happen for us as believers today? Ephesians chapter 1, you can just write this down. Verses 13 and 14 says this. In Him also, in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, you heard the gospel, the gospel was shared, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, there was faith exercised, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit of God. When does the Spirit come to indwell a believer? At the moment of faith and repentance. You are sealed in the Spirit. The Spirit comes to indwell you. You become a partaker of the very divine nature. You become a temple of the very Spirit of God. And Paul says here, he seals you with the promised Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means he puts the very stamp of God on you forever. You are secure in the Spirit of God. You are redeemed in the Spirit of God, who is the guarantee, verse 14, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. It's down payment. It's promise of future glory. Future glory. Amazing implications to the reality that the Spirit of God indwells His people. It means you're never out of His presence. It means you are a partaker of his divine nature. It means you're not who you used to be. It means you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. It means you're sealed and secured for eternity. It means the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. It means that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, glorify God with this body that he's given you. It's not just a body. It's now the dwelling place of God Almighty. That is amazing. Watch this. Here's a really cool implication of that. That means that the most holy place you will encounter all day today is not some holy building, and it's sure not this building. The most holy place you will encounter all day is another believer. That changed the way we treat one another? That changed the way we look at one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? Is that the, what changed the way we hold on to bitterness and we show love and we deal with conflict and we walk through things? Because that other believer, if they know Christ, they are a dwelling place of God created in His image. They are a temple of God. They are the most holy place in the sense of God's presence, right? In our fallenness, still in our fallenness, yes, redeemed one day perfectly. But Paul says, the Bible says, you are a temple of the Spirit of God who dwells in you. Wow. Man. So it is the Spirit that gives life. The Holy Spirit indwells God's people. And then thirdly, we'll do this one very quickly, so hang with me. The Holy Spirit, this is big idea number three. The Holy Spirit helps God's people. The Holy Spirit helps. What does that mean, Pastor Mike? The Holy Spirit helps us. Well, again, I'm on team Jesus, and I agree with Jesus. So here's what Jesus said about it. John 16, 7. I'm not sure if this is on the screen or not. Yeah, it is. Uh, but I tell you the truth, Jesus said. Speaking to his disciples, pre-cross, pre-resurrection, Jesus says this. I tell you the truth. 
it is to your advantage that I go away. Stop right there. And we've talked about this before, but Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going away, I'm going to my Father in heaven, and guys, I just need you to know something. It's better for you that I go away. What? It's better for us that the Son of God is no longer walking beside us day in and day out. Jesus, you've got to explain that. How in the world could that be better for us? He goes on, he says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who's the Helper? The Holy Spirit of God. Here's what Jesus is saying. The Holy Spirit in you is better than Jesus walking beside you. And all the implications of that. He empowers us, Acts 1.8. When the Spirit has come up on you, you will be empowered to speak the gospel. He enables you for ministry, 1 Peter, by serving by His strength, speaking by His strength. He enables you to bear fruit of the Spirit. But I want to give you just one, t- two more words really quick, and this is where we'll wrap up. Here's two things, t- two specific ways the Holy Spirit helps you day in and day out in the lives of believers. Number one, he continually guides you. And number two, he continually grows you. Pastor Mike, what does that mean? I'm just going to read you a couple verses out of Romans and we'll be finished. Here it is, Romans chapter 8. I want you to listen to a few verses just as our team kind of begins to play. And I, the service is nowhere near over. All right, so just lock in with me. Hang tight. Romans 8.13, Paul says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit, if by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So God is guiding. The Spirit of God is guiding. In verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear again, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now stay with me, watch this. How does the Spirit guide us? Is it some mystical, magical thing? Man, I, I drove into Walmart parking lot, I said, I really need that parking space. Bam, the Spirit gave me a parking space. It was awesome. It's a lot better than that, let me assure you. He says here, he says, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body. One of the ways the Spirit continually guides you, brothers and sisters, is to turn from the flesh and sin. It's the work of the Spirit. Those old, that, old, that old stuff that you love, that old stuff that you crave, that rots your soul, and evidence that you are being led by the Spirit, not that you have constant victory, but you're fighting the good fight. Right? It says, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. One evidence is you're putting to death the deeds of the body. Then he goes on to verse 15. He says, okay, what's another evidence? That you are crying out in the Spirit, Abba, Father, meaning the Spirit continually guides you from sin and continually to intimacy with your Father. Constantly. That's what the Spirit is guiding you to. Away from that old junk. Away from who you used to be. Away from the flesh that still has power in our fallenness. Two, cry out within us this constant resonating within me that I have been adopted by God himself. He is my father. I want to know him. I want to fellowship with him. I want to commune with him. That is the work of the Spirit. He is constantly guiding you in that. See that? 
And then secondly, he's constantly growing you. Where did you get that from? On down Romans 8, we looked at this a few weeks ago, just as a reminder. Romans 8, 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And we know that all those who love God, it causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and call according to His purpose. I've heard that before. That's very familiar. What does that mean? Verse 29, for those whom He foreknew, who He foreloved, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He, we, us, all God's children might be conformed to the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit day in, day out, moment by moment, is giving you life. He indwells you, and He is helping you. He's steering you from sin. He's leading you to the Father. And here He is continually growing us, and His purpose is to continually make you more and more and more like Jesus. That's what He does. As we commune in His Word, and we commune with His people, and we follow Him by His grace, He is shaping us into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a sculptor, and the sculptor had carved this incredible sculpture out of a solid piece of stone of this incredible stallion, just this powerful horse, just this incredible sculpture. And someone came up to him and he says, how in the world did you take from a solid piece of rock and sculpt into that perfectly beautiful horse? And the sculptor said, easy. I just chipped away everything that didn't look like a horse. It means the Spirit of God is in the process of chipping away everything in your life that doesn't look like Jesus. It's painful sometimes. That's the work of the Spirit. Hallelujah. What a Savior. You bow your head for just a minute. We're going to stand and sing a song of response. And here's my question for you this morning. First, have you by faith responded to the message of the gospel? Realized that I hate my sin. I hate that junk. It's not what I want. The work of the Spirit. Have your eyes been open to see Jesus for who He is as your only Savior and run to Him in faith? Have you done that? Have you been born again? Does the Spirit of God dwell in you? If this morning you're here and you're not sure and you don't even know what that means, we'd love to pray with you, talk with you. When we all stand in just a minute, right out that back door, there's an area called the Hub. A team of people will be ready to meet with you. If you're here and you're a follower of Christ, here's my question to you. Are you walking in the Spirit? (laughs) Brothers and sisters, you already know Christ. It's possible to grieve the Spirit because of our sin. It's possible to quench the Spirit because of rebellion and resistance. It's possible to walk in the Spirit. So we walk in communion and fellowship with Him and His Word. You walking in the Spirit? Enjoying the joy of walking and knowing Him? love to pray with you or talk with you any way we can this morning. Right there in your seat, just respond to the word of the Lord this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the life that is given to us in Christ by the Spirit. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.